intention interior trucking companies if you are relying on facility insurance you could be overpaying reduce your insurance cost by 10000 or more per truck and good news we accept drivers with only 1 years of experience to learn more just send us text by typing insurance to 3653640714 thank you Welcome to the Dog On It Trucking Podcast. I've got the pleasure of Mr. John Farquhar uh, today from Summit Risk. What is it, John? Summit Risk? Solutions. Solutions. Summit Risk Solutions uh, online. And this interview came about because John and I were having a private conversation and he started talking about bills of lading. And it's a subject that I know very little about. So I said, John, could you be my very first guest to do a second interview and discuss bills of lading? Welcome to the Dog On It Trucking Podcast. When it comes to trucking safety, the dog is on it. What do we do on this show? I get to talk to some of the most influential trucking executives in our industry so that we can pick up new tips and tricks to use in our everyday businesses. So with that, let's get on with the show. Mr. John Farquhar, uh, Bills of Lading. But before we get into that, John, what makes you knowledgeable on Bills of Lading? Well, uh, Bills of Lading are a, um, a big interest to me. Uh, so when I had my trucks, my fleet back in the uh, 90s, early 2000s, um, we had our own bill of lading and it was something that I got into with a customer. So I made a point of educating myself on what I need to know about that bill of lading. And, uh, and then over the last 15 years of my risk management career with insurance companies, one of the things that we look at is documentation when it comes to cargo and how you're handling and managing that documentation. So I've made a point of educating myself, uh, working with lawyers and industry best practice leaders on what do you need to have in place to cover your butt or your customer's butt for that matter uh, when it comes to documentation so that's how we've kind of gotten into that so are you a lawyer no okay so i, I just wanted to put that I'm out close. there that <laughs> we're having this discussion and john is not uh, a lawyer this is uh, uh, this information is more from a high level than it is down here um, it's, it's, it's more to intrigue you to look at your bills of lading and ask yourself a lot of questions. And that's where you might want to seek legal advice, um, legal counsel to kind of find out, have I got things covered off? But there's a number of things we'll talk about today that can help protect you as a carrier and also help protect your customer in the event of a claim. So I think, I think that's really good. So the idea then today is to have listeners ask themselves questions yes because yep. you're going to make them think yep yeah and then and, you know and if they they want to carry that that conversation on further i'm more than open to having some further conversations we can help them out we could come in look at what they're doing what their practices are help them out with that because uh yeah not so much is it a big issue when you're just hauling some general freight that's worth ten thousand dollars uh but hey if we're getting into some high value and uh, you know some um, highly attractive cargo for theft. Um, this is where it can be a big concern. If we get into a claim situation, it can cause a great fight between the shipper, the receiver, and the uh, and the carrier. So th these are meant to alleviate those fights, but also to educate. 
right? And your contact information will be in the show notes or is in the show notes below. So uh, listeners and viewers can reach out and talk to you about bills of lading to stimulate sure. thought and discussion. Yay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. So what's the first thing I should know about bills of lading that you would like me to know? Because as well, I said, I know nothing. Yep. So, so probably starting at the basics. So a, a bill of lading is your contract of carriage. Okay. Um, that's the agreement that you have from a shipper or, or whoever you're hauling the freight for, because sometimes it could be a freight broker. Uh, you could be picking it up on behalf of the receiver. So you've got a consignor, a consignee, a shipper, a receiver, you've got a middleman, third party. So a lot of it depends on who you're picking it up for. And then even we're going to confuse it all up and we're going to throw the U.S. in there in a little bit. So, But the, the concept is the bill of lading is a document that is your contract of carriage. It's the agreement that says, hey, this is what I'm hauling. Uh, this is where I'm picking it up. This is where I'm delivering it to. Here's the commodity. Here's how much of the commodity. And it becomes a contract because on a bill of lading, you should have three signatures, um, shipper, carrier, and the receiver. To make a valid contract, you've got to have all three signatures in there. So, And this is going to be the document that most drivers will pick up when they show up at the shipper's uh, location to pick up the cargo. So one of the... The interesting things that I find is there's a lot of carriers that don't quite understand the rules and regulations around that. Now, it's become very convenient here in the last 20, 30 years to show up at a shipper and they'll provide you with a bill of lading. Pretty simple. Here it is. Here's the bill of lading. Off you go, driver. Sign your way and away you go. Interesting enough, under the course of the, of the regulation, it's the carrier that is supposed to raise the bill of lading, not the shipper. But the shippers have made it very convenient because of the fact that, well, they've got to have the software to do the packing slip, uh, pro forma invoices, commercial invoices for, for customs purposes. So the software automatically generates a bill of lading. So it's like, hey, I've got it all for you. Here, driver, just sign this and away you go. Um, the problem with that is not all, but many shippers there's no terms and conditions and they're not on the back of the bill of lading. It might be just like this blank, you know? Um, and if there are terms and conditions, they're very much swayed towards the shipper's side of the agreement. And the whole concept is it's the carrier's responsibility to put in the terms and conditions of how you're going to transport that cargo. It shouldn't be left to the shipper or the receiver, unless of course you have a separate contract agreement above and beyond the bill of lading so which is sometimes what you'll see with certain agreements all right so go ahead. John, I, I got a question though um is the carrier responsible when the carrier hasn't seen the bill of lading because the driver signing uh not the carrier uh, the carrier can't be held liable just because the driver signed can he Yes, because they are an extension of the carrier. The driver or operator of the vehicle is an extension of the carrier. So they're fully responsible for who they hire and who they put into that position on behalf of the carrier. So it'll always come back to the carrier. So again, back to uh, some training aspects uh, when you're hiring of teaching your drivers how to um, 
accept the cargo, what to uh, look for on the bill of lading, looking for some key items to make sure that they're there. And if they're not, they should be contacting their dispatch before they leave to be able to go, hey, there's not this, there's not that, or there's this, or oh my gosh, there's a million dollar price tag on this bill of lading. What do I do? So, you know, this is where you need to alert the operations team uh, back at the office to be able to say, here's what's going on. I'm at the shipper. This is what's happening. So, so one of the... Are you gonna, sorry, are you going to walk us through what a driver should be looking for? Yes. Okay. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So, so can I share the screen? You sure can. Let's, I mean, let's, let's, let's bring up a sample bill of lading. So, so this is just a sample. This is, you know, one of your standard. Um, there are multiples, you know, of, of different bills of ladings and whatnot. This is just a simplistic form. But one of the things that a driver should be looking for, obviously, is completeness. You want to make sure that you've got uh, the consignor in here, point of origin, addresses, dates, any reference numbers, um, vehicle information, if that's if what's required. And then the consignee, where it's delivering to, you know, you've obviously been dispatched to the location to say, hey, you're picking up here in uh, Mississauga and you're heading down to Canton, Ohio. Well, your bill of lading should say it's going to Canton, Ohio, and should have the same information that your dispatch gave you. If not, that should be concerning right off the bat and questions need to be raised. Same within the body of the goods is uh, we need to have a piece count, what the description of the goods are, weights, stuff along that line. Um, it may or may not have collect prepaid with the freight charges or it could be a COD shipment. These are some nice to haves. But one thing I want to make sure preface here, we're not getting into dangerous goods bill leadings in this conversation. That's a whole nother topic. So we're just going to stick to general freight commodities. So anyway, um, this bill of lading just happens to have some, uh, some niceties here for loading time, unloading time. But probably one of the biggest areas that needs to be addressed is right here where it says declared valuation. This is what we see a lot of times not being on the bill of lading is a declared value. And in absence of a declared value on a shipper issued bill of lading, we usually do not see this disclaimer that says maximum liability shall not exceed 441 a kilogram or $2 per pound computed on the total weight of the shipment unless declared valuation states otherwise. So this is a big area that helps the driver to know what's the value of the goods. So we're going to do a little sidestep here. A, a lot of people between the driver and the carrier will, will use that concept. Oh, but I have a customs document. I have a pro forma invoice, which has the value on it. I'm okay. No, 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 you're not okay. Pro forma and customs documents are just that, customs documents. They are not part of the contract of carriage. They're not part of the bill of lading. Um, and they're not part of the agreement with the shipment. That is the pro forma and the customs documents are what the shipper and the receiver or the buyer and the seller have agreed upon on the price of that product. Now that product could be based on a hundred loads, but it's not the value of your load. Your load is not worth one one hundredth of that price that they did. Your load is worth what is the value of it today? 
because the agreement that they, the shipper and, and the receiver or the buyer and the seller put together could have been five years ago and it's taken five years to make the product. So they're going to be based on the value that they made the agreement, not today. Exchange rate has a lot to flow into it. Um, demand, uh, supply and demand. So, so that can have a bearing on it. So I always encourage clients, do not, and I'll repeat it, do not utilize and rely on the customs document or the pro forma invoice. You need to get from the customer that you're hauling the load for what the true value of that product is. So just to spin it up just a little bit more, every bill of lading should have, as I mentioned earlier, three locations to sign. This is what makes a factful and complete uh, contract. Your consignor, your carrier, and your consignee. And every bill of lading should have terms and conditions. This is what you will not find on a regular bill of lading issued by a shipper. So when I had my trucks, one of the things that I did is I worked with my customers and I actually provided them a copy of my bill of lading. I had them printed up in a book form and I would send them out to them and say, here, use my bill of ladings when you're um, transporting your product on my truck. Years. And we went through this. We talked about what these conditions mean. Um, this is what's going to help protect the carrier as well as protect the customer. And it provides stipulations as to what needs to be done and how it needs to be done in the event of a claim or any kind of issues or anything that's uh, that's being um, uh, brought forth. So how, if I'm asking, I mean, the reason I want to use my bill of lading if I'm a trucking company is because I now know what my drivers are signing. Every yes. time a driver goes out to a shipper and uses a shipper's bill of lading, I as a carrier and that driver as my uh, legal representative committing me to a contract, I don't know what the heck they're signing. Correct. So Correct. It works in reverse though. How can I get the shipper to use my bill of lading uh, because essentially that dock worker who's their representative, they don't know what the heck that dock worker is signing. Correct, correct. So so that becomes the, the fight that we see on a regular basis. And particularly if you're dealing with a, uh, a large organization, manufacturing facility, distributor, whatever it be, they've already got their protocols set. So, and, and especially if you're dealing with a uh, freight broker, freight forwarder or something along that line, you're into a situation where you're trying to put their customer on the hot seat of using my bill of lading. So, so that's where we come into a contract, a written agreement that says, hang on, before we haul this shipment, uh, regardless of the bill of lading, let's put a contract in place and we can stipulate the contract of carriage within the contract. We can stipulate what the value of that product is going to be, what the service agreements are going to be, what the terms and conditions are going to be of me hauling this freight. And then therefore, your bill of lading when the driver signs it is a step down from the contract that you have in place. The contract will always supersede the bill of lading. So so that will, that will help you to be able to set up that process. Now, a lot of times that becomes another challenge because depending on who you're working with goes, ah, I don't know, I'm not doing no contract and whatnot. But it's all about how do I get the customer to understand this is here to protect you. So let's do another sidestep. So every carrier has to have insurance to operate up and down a road. Every carrier also has to have cargo insurance. 
to haul the product up and down the road. The problem lies in the fact that people, carriers, will get cargo coverages usually for more than what they need, okay, to make sure that they cover themselves. So let's just use an example of um, Harris Transportation here needs cargo coverage. Uh, one of their customers happens to say, hey, you know what, we're going to have some product once in a while. Um, it's going to be worth $300,000. So can you get a policy that has $350,000 worth of coverage and we'll be good? Sure, no problem. So I call my broker, I get my insurance involved, and you know what, we now have a policy with $350,000 worth of coverage. I'll probably hardly ever use it because everything else I haul is maybe $40,000. Okay, so defaulting back to um, $2 per pound, if the cargo weighs 20,000 pounds, I'm covered for $40,000. If I haul a shipment that is worth 300,000 from ABC widgets here, but they never put the price on the bill of lading and they never tell me when that price is in, in place for a shipment, they'll never be covered. They think they are because I have a certificate of insurance that says I got $350,000 worth of cargo coverage. Woo -hoo -hoo. No, 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 insurance company's not gonna pay out that way. Because if we don't have any agreement in place that says you're going to, we're gonna pay 300,000 for that cargo, but if we never know when it is, how are we gonna pay for it? So, so how it lies in the fact is by having an agreement in place with your customer. So whether it be on the bill of lading and they write 300,000 on that load, the insurance company will cover it because it's been declared on the bill of lading. Or maybe we have a, um, a fax or an email confirmation from the shipper saying, hey, Bob, um, we're going to do that $300,000 shipment this week. It's going out on Thursday. I'm letting you know now that's the load that we need that coverage on. No problem. That email now will help protect you to give you that coverage in place because that's a declaration of $300,000. It's going to be attached with the contract of carriage. So, um, and like I say, the customs document may never say 300000 because, well, that wasn't the agreement they made with the buyer back five, 10 years ago. So, so that's where it needs to be into play now. Now, so, so let's, we're going to have some fun here, Chris. We're going to go in another direction. So <laughs> under most uh, understanding within Canada, we have a default of $2 per pound unless a declared value is provided. Okay. That's Canada now. But the problem is that is not in all jurisdictions. BC, Saskatchewan, and PEI have a different set of rules. So um, if you're picking up in that province, you have to apply by their rules, right? So, so we can all change up the game. So you need to know where you're picking up and what the rules are in that area, in that location. Just because you're from Ontario, but you're picking up in PEI does not mean I can use the rules of Ontario because no, no, the cargo is originating in PEI. So, so it's, it's advantageous for a carrier to understand the jurisdictions that they're operating in and where they're picking up cargo coverage or cargo, I mean, so that they've got the right coverage in place. It's so, John, it's confusing. Very much so. Very, very much so. so we've <laughs> it's got not cut and dried. And, and, and that is a big challenge. So it's, it's trying to, how do I protect myself at all times? And, and the best thing that I tell customers and clients is have a conversation with your customer. 
talk to them about what's the value of the goods. Don't assume, oh, a load of lettuce is only worth $40,000. Do not assume it's worth $40,000. It, in a, in a time of supply and demand, it may be worth 80,000 or 110,000 because nobody else has got lettuce but this one farmer in California. And guess what? You want it, you're gonna pay. So they're gonna want full protection on it. So you can't just assume that you know what the value of the goods are. It's have a conversation with your customer and understand what it is that you're carrying and how much it's worth. Well, the biggest thing I've picked up so far from what you're telling me is I really need to have a contract with my customers. It, because it's very helpful. Not all customers are gonna to wanna to do contracts. Now, on the other hand, there are a lot of customers, uh, your big distribution, uh, I was gonna say, just, just as an example, your Loblaws and your Sobies, they're the ones that are gonna issue you the contract and they're gonna set the terms and conditions. Now, uh, the, the thing is people need to realize that may be the contract, but that doesn't mean you have to sign it and agree to 100% of it. You're meant to look at that contract, read that contract. If there's some things in there that don't work for you, you need to go back to the customer and say, hey, this line here, th th that doesn't work for us. And have a conversation because a contract is negotiable. So any lawyer will tell you, yeah, you know what? The, the, the contract, as it's written, is how it's enforced. But if you change the wording of the contract, and particularly in a particular clause, and you both agree on that wording, then that's what it'll stand by. How likely is it that if I went to a major shipper um, and said, hey, this line here doesn't work for me, how likely mm -hmm. is it that they are going to um, change the contract, especially when you know, I'm probably one of a hundred carriers that they might yep. be using. So, so that's where that's gonna come into play. How desperate are they for your services? If you're one of 100, they're gonna go, you know what, take it the way it is. We got 99 other guys over here we can use. So you won't work from us, you will work under our terms and conditions. Right. So that's, and that's one of the dilemmas that you run into. now. If you are one of two carriers for a small uh, operation and they're quite busy and they need help, that's where you can kind of put a little bit of pressure on and go, guys, I, you know what, this isn't right. We got to do this properly. We got to protect both sides. So not only the carrier, but the customer. So let's agree on something we can both agree on. Let me ask you a question. And again, um, this is, it may be common knowledge out there for some people, but I'm basically, most of my trucking experience was as a safety guy. Um, how does all of this, the bill of lading and the contract of carriage and all this stuff, how does this work with load brokers? <laughs> so, okay, well, so, I, I didn't mean to mean it to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, 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 the freight broker, the load broker is really not in the relationship at this time uh, when it comes to ability because he's the middleman, but he's not carrying the cargo. He is not responsible for that cargo whatsoever. He's responsible for putting the relationship together between the shipper or the customer and the carrier, right? So the bill of lading, the contract of carriage is between those two entities, okay? Um, now, with that said, there are many times a freight broker uh, will have a um, an agreement with their customer okay and you have to be very very careful because if you're hauling freight for the freight broker 
and the freight broker has an agreement with the customer, you are subject to that agreement between the freight broker and the customer. So you have to be very careful there. You need to understand what's going on. So one of the challenges of that is knowing if there's an agreement in place. And if there's not, you need to put a secondary agreement in place. Now, whether that agreement will be with um, you and the freight broker as to what your terms are for hauling this, this load, or you raise your own bill of lading from um, the shipper to the, to the consignee on your own, and you cut out the shipper issued bill of lading. So, and that's where you run into that. Because the other problem is too, you need to make sure that the freight broker's name is not on the bill of lading because they're not the ones hauling the cargo. You are. I have actually seen guys um, charged with theft uh, because their name was not on the bill of lading. It was a freight broker. Freight broker doesn't even have trucks. But the problem was it was listed as a freight broker having it. So that caused a bit of a dilemma. Well, and uh, there's a whole issue, um, just changing subjects a little bit. Uh, there was a theft over in, I believe it was Montreal, where uh, trucking companies were picking up freight um, from a load broker, through a load broker, and then they were being told, oh, don't deliver it to the address on the uh, bill of lading. We we've, uh, hmm. have to change it. And they all delivered, uh, it was several loads to an empty warehouse where it was offloaded quite quickly. And uh, <laughs> it turned out that the warehouse was up for lease. Yep. So this was on Friday and Saturday. And by the time the loads that were supposed to be delivered on Monday uh, were discovered missing, uh, where the police went to the warehouse and there's a uh, the sign had been knocked down that mm -hmm. said for lease. And mm -hmm. all the trucking truck drivers said it was a great place to go. They offloaded <laughs> me in like 20 minutes. Oh, lots of room. They served me coffee. It was great. I want to go back. <laughs> uh, but anyway, bills of lading is what we're talking about, not cargo yep. theft. Yeah, but but that's where yeah. it's very difficult when somebody says, hey, don't deliver it to the bill of lading. Deliver it to this address instead. Right. So that becomes another issue because that becomes what you call blind shipment, right? So but the problem is you need to raise a bill of lading. So you have to have another bill of lading that says I picked it up here and I'm delivering it here, which is different than the other bill of lading, which said, oh, deliver it over there. But now you're going to be reverted over here. So you have to raise another bill of lading. So and, and, and sometimes that's because um, not a freight broker, but it could be a distributor who's bought the product and sold the product to somebody else. He doesn't want you want, he doesn't want the end buyer knowing where it actually came from. He wants it to look like it came from him. So, so when you get into those, you need to make sure you have your agreement tightened up, knowing exactly what all the particulars are and knowing that everybody's protected. Holy smokes. These truck drivers today um, oh, yeah. need to be, need to take a course on the law and um, bills of lading. So. No. Well, again, it comes back to the responsibility of the carrier, right? The carrier is supposed to know these regulations, know what's required. Highway traffic acts in every province across the, part of the country all have these bill of lading um, uh, regulations and whatnot. So if you're going to operate on the highway, you need to know. And then you need to educate the drivers and, and teach and coach them as to what they need to understand when it comes to handling cargo and cargo documentation. So bills of lading should be part of a new hire orientation. Oh, 
Very much so. Very much so. So now, do you want to confuse the subject again? Okay, let's let's make it even more confusing. Go ahead. Okay. So so we talked about um, declared values or limitations of liability, the two dollars per pound quote. Okay, that works great in Canada, through Canada, back and forth across Canada, in and out of Canada, going to the U.S. That works great. But now we happen to be in the U.S. And now we're picking up a load in the U.S. that's coming back to Canada. Well, now we have what's called the Carmack Amendment, which is a U.S. regulation. And the Carmack Amendment says you can't limit your liability. So you can't put on the bill lading $2 per pound. We're good. We're covered. No problem at all. You, you can't do it. It's illegal. What you have to do is have an agreement with the customer that you are going to haul or, or hauler. You're going to haul the freight of X value, and I'm going to haul it for X dollars worth of freight rate. So you have to stipulate that. So obviously, this is where it helps that if the value of the cargo is 300000 well, then I should get more freight rate because I'm taking on more risk, right? So if if I'm not if the, if the shipper uh, let's let's use an example, okay? So uh, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, got a load coming back, and uh, it's a load of widgets, and they're paying a thousand dollars to bring it back to Toronto, but it, but it's worth half a million dollars, right? It's the gold-plated widgets. So anyway, so all of a sudden you're going, geez, half a million dollars. Thousand bucks is not enough money. No, exactly, it's not. So you might go, well, hang on, Mr. Customer. Based on Carmack, I need to limit the liability, but I can't limit it by just saying two dollars per pound. We have to come to an agreement. So if you want me to haul it for a thousand dollars, I'm going to give you hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of coverage. That's it. And if they go, no, 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 we got to have at least two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of coverage. Okay, well, two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of coverage. We're now looking at two thousand dollars to haul the load, and you have to put this in writing. Could be an email, a fax confirmation, or whatever. But it's basically stating how much you're going to haul the load for and how much the load is going to be covered for. And then on top of that, you need to make sure that you have the coverage to back it. So again, if you've got the coverage of three hundred and fifty thousand from your insurer, then you're good to go. So. But too many people don't know this. So when you pick up a load that's worth 250000 and you're doing it for a buck and a half a mile, and you're thinking, God, this really don't pay much. Well, you're on the hook for 250000 You roll that over, you're now in trouble. Now, it changes and gets really confusing a little bit when we start talking about, well, who are you doing the load for? If you're doing it for a Canadian entity, you can limit to $2 per pound. So I'm picking up in, in Ohio, I'm bringing it back to Ontario, I'm doing it for the customer in Canada, which is which is very common with, with uh, North-South uh, operations. So now you can limit to $2 per pound because the agreement started in Ontario, right? Between me and the, the customer in Ontario, there's where the, the agreement said, because we're picking it up in the US, we don't have to comply with with uh, Carmack. But if I happen to have the US entity as the customer and they're calling me up and going, hey, we have this load every week, I fall under Carmack. So therefore I can't limit it to $2 per pound. And you definitely can't rely on the, the um, pro forma or commercial invoice for customs because again, that's not the true value of the product. So you need to have the conversation with the customer 
or a written agreement in place that says anytime I haul for you, we're going to haul it for a thousand bucks. It's going to be worth no more than a hundred thousand dollars. And as long as everybody agrees in the event, something happens, we share that with the insurance provider and the claim will be covered up to a hundred thousand dollars. You see, I'm confused. Oh, I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm confused too at times. <laughs> well, you know, it, it just, it highlights for me how confusing this all is because really I've had no exposure to it before. I've never owned a trucking company. I've never had to worry about it uh, when I was in operations. Um, it was for one customer and one customer only and somebody else within my organization had approved uh, how yep. we work for that customer, you know. Yep. So yep. I'm really hearing a lot of this for the very first time. Mm -hmm. uh, my insurance background says I, I know it's been a problem and it, and it ends up in court a lot yes. um, over yeah. the confusion because the carrier saying that's not what I agreed to and the shipper says exactly. <laughs> here yeah. it is in writing, it is what you agreed yeah. to. Yes, exactly, exactly. It, so I know from that perspective, but I've really other than like really what you're saying to me today is probably the second time I've really discussed bills of lading. Mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. first time was a lawyer that I heard from the states talking about bills of lading. Uh, Hank Seaton was his name. Mm, yes, and heard him. Yep. Actually he's got a book out and it's probably still relevant today. I know I've got a copy of it somewhere on my bookshelf um, and I tried to read it. Um, you know, but the subject matter was a little dry. Mm -hmm. And Hank oh, it did, a, did a great job. Simple. Yeah, there's a lot of legalese in there. Yes. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, and, 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 the, and the trick is if you're going to um, consult with legal counsel, you need to seek specialized legal counsel. Don't just, not every lawyer is going to know this. You want to talk to a transportation lawyer uh, or law firm that knows. Uh, contracts of carriage, regulations with transportation. Then there are a couple of great ones out there. Uh, Fernandez and Hearn is one. Um, there's there's one in uh, BC. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, the name eludes me right now. But but there are a couple of really really good transportation lawyers out there that understand this. And and that's been one of my great things is I've gone to some uh, symposiums where these people have spoken and some conferences. And this is where you can really get educated and then carry on that conversation even further with these folks to be able to say, I need to know more, you know. So so in the in, in the meantime, to, to help protect most carriers, so those that are listening um, on the carrier side and operations, the one thing I encourage every customer I meet to do is to that terms and conditions that I showed on the back of that bill of lading. If you have a set terms and conditions, post it on your website. Get it on your website, okay? And then put a link in your email signatures. All your staff in the office, put an email link in there um, to that website page. And I encourage people um, to be able to click on that link and say cargo uh, valuation or cargo terms and conditions, and then have them, that way whoever sees it can go, to, goes right to that page. And also have with that page something that says, Unless a declared value is provided, limit of liability is $2 per pound or $4.41 per kilogram. And I, I get people to put this on their load confirmation. So a lot of times 
you're getting a load from a freight broker or a customer and they're requesting that you sign it, send it back or email acknowledge, no problem. Acknowledge back and make sure this statement is on there that in lieu of a declared value, we're two bucks per pound, simple as that. It's not gonna cause chaos. What it's gonna do is if, if you haven't had a chance to talk to that customer yet and they see that on that confirmation or that notification, they're gonna pick up the phone and go, Chris, what the heck are you talking about? What do you mean this $2 per round? We've never had this conversation before. What are you talking about? My stuff's worth 40 grand. What are you doing? What are you doing? That's where you can sit there and talk and go, okay, Harry, no problem. Um, your product weighs 40,000 pounds. And what is the value? Oh, it's worth $40,000. Okay, you're under the $2 per pound. You're okay. We've got insurance coverage for you. And we, we now know truly what your product is worth. But when you get that load of golden widgets that comes up at 500,000 and it's... Um, it weighs in at uh, at 10,000 pounds. If there's no value, the insurance company is going to give you two bucks per pound based on the jurisdiction. So and anyway, but yeah, like this is this is the problem with this subject. It is so like a spider web. It just goes everywhere and it can be so confusing, but it doesn't have to be. If you look within your own organization and understand what are we doing? What are we hauling? Have we had talks with our customers? Do we have contracts in place? Do we have agreements with our shippers and receivers? Um, and, and making sure that you understand what they are and review those bills of ladings. So when a driver comes back and, and uh, the shipment's done, you've invoiced it and closed it off, don't just attach the bill of lading to the invoice and file it away. No, let's have a look at that bill of lading and make sure there's nothing on it, that there's enough on it, there's good information, um, make sure everything's covered off, you know, because... If there's a claim, they're coming back, and the only recourse you got is that bill of lading. Right. So, I really liked your suggestion there about the website, putting your terms mm -hmm. and conditions on the website, and then having everybody that is conversing with uh, the customers have yep. it as part of their email signature. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yep. And I've heard yep. that before. I think uh, Hank yep. Seaton actually suggested that many, many mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. And. When I was working for the insurance company, I suggested it to many carriers, and I don't know of one that actually did it. Yeah, yeah, that's the challenging part. I'm I'm seeing more and more now when I have conversations with clients, and particularly over the last uh, five to ten years uh, with the insurance side here, uh, in having conversations, I've seen a lot of customers that we were working with have populated that on their website, pat them on the back. They've done a great job. Um, but you've got to be aware of it. And so to add to that too. You also need to be aware of any contracts that you're signing. Um, so to add to insult to injury here, um, there should be one person in your organization that signs those contracts, nobody else. And that person should know every contract you have signed. Um, seen it too many times, gone into the organization, uh, done an evaluation and find out if you've signed any, oh no, I haven't, I, I've, I've signed one in the last, and then you have to talk to a dispatcher operations. Oh God, I got a drawer full of them. I sign them all the time. Nobody knew this, this dispatcher was signing them. But And then you start pulling them out and you're finding out that you're liable for the full value of the cargo plus taxes, plus lost this, plus that. It's like, <laughs> just signed away the company here. So that's why it pays to have one person in the organization who understands contractual agreements to be reviewing that contract and signing. I'll give you a great example of, of a customer I went to visit. 
they'd signed a contract, a logistics contract um, for some big machinery. And what was interesting was I, I asked if I could review the contract quickly. And he's, oh, yeah, yeah, here you go. It's right here. I just finished signing and send it back to them and whatnot. We've been hauling freight with these guys already for about a month. Perfect. In the contract, it stipulated that the carrier would be responsible for the value of the cargo up to $2 per pound. So I'm thinking, okay, cool. I read on another page or two. It now says that they're responsible for the full value of the cargo. Oh, that's interesting. That just supersedes that. And then we read a little further and it says that they are enacting CARMAC in the agreement. Well, the interesting thing is it was a Canadian logistics company contracting with a, a Canadian carrier. You cannot enact a U.S. regulation on Canadian soil. <laughs> so here we had three different scenarios of cargo valuation. And I said, what's the true value of the cargo? He said, we should crave these things are worth like $3 million a piece. And I said, you might want to have a talk with somebody to find out. So he called them right there on the spot. And the guy says, oh, don't worry about it. It's just two bucks per pound. Don't worry about it. I said, I would be asking for the new contract. And I said, that's where you should have been going through this contract and scratching out these lines. Because I said, they're, um, they're convoluting the whole situation by having three different scenarios. It should be one. What is it? One or the other. So, yeah. But that's where it's very important to read the contracts know the customers you're dealing with, understand the values of the product that you're transporting. Don't just assume, oh, that's, that's not worth much more than a bucket a pound. Nah, you know, so. It's crazy. And I think for um, more clarity, I would encourage customers to reach out to Mr. Farquhar, to Johnny Boy, and get some more information because I'll tell you, this one conversation has stimulated a lot of thought and I'm only a safety consultant. Um, yeah. About uh, well, one, one of the things that we can do with, with, with a customer or client, we can help them. We can come in, we can review what it is they're hauling. Let's look at the cargo. Let's understand what it is. Let's look at some of the sample bills of lading that they're dealing with and help them to realize some of these don't have any values and they also don't have a limitation. So now you're defaulting to the, to the provincial law that you're operating in. But then, oh my God, this has been coming out of the U.S. This is for a U.S. customer. You've got no value. You've been full risk here. So it's it's nip it in the bud now get a handle on it because god forbid you have a huge claim that you're not responsible for it's going to be a hell of a fight in court yeah john in respect of your time how about we wrap it up what's sure oh, parting, parting words or anything that we didn't talk about yet that you really want to get out there today um i think the biggest thing is probably just pay attention no what you need to know. And there's a lot of people that don't know what they don't know. Um, don't take it for granted that the shipper provided me a bill of lading, I'm okay. You're not. Um, it's one-sided agreement from the shipping uh, industry. So you need to be aware. So it's a matter of pay attention, get yourself educated uh, and, and review the bills of ladings that you're working with. Know what you got, know what you're doing. Because sometimes you just need to have a conversation with a customer because the customer doesn't know it either. You know, uh, as I mentioned before, when you're looking at jurisdictional situations, uh, let's just use Ontario as an example, it's $2 per pound. If there's no declared value on the bill of lading, there's no limitation of liability, the courts are going to default to $2 per pound. And if you're telling me the product's worth 350000 and it only weighs 10,000 pounds, the insurance company is only going to pay twenty grand. So 
So somebody's on the hook. And who's that somebody? Probably going to be the carrier. So that's going to hurt. Yeah. So from this, I, I'm taking away several things. The, um, the website, the email address that you had suggested, and yep. myself, I'd say uh, call John for more clarification. Yep, and be his happy contact, to help out. John's contact info is below in the show notes. All right, Johnny, that was awesome. <laughs> I think that was a great interview, and, and I want to thank you so much for coming back on to talk about. Well, thank, thanks uh, for having me. I appreciate it. Bills so. of lading. And for our audience, if you haven't figured it out, uh, John worked, God, what was it, 15 years, John, for an insurance company as a safety guy? 15, insur 15 years for two different insurance companies, yep. Yeah, okay, so a great deal of experience there. And then before that, you owned your own trucking company. Yep, yep. And it wasn't even, where was it located? Brantford or uh, just outside of Hamilton? Just outside of Brantford, Paris, Paris, yeah. Ontario. Yep. Okay. And we ran all over North America, open deck, over dimensional freight and whatnot, all over North America. Yeah, so you've got lots of trucking experience. You've got bill of lading experience. John is not a lawyer. Uh, no. <laughs> but has a great deal more knowledge than I do when it comes to trucking and bills of lading. So awesome. Thanks, John, for coming on the Dog On It Trucking Podcast. Appreciate it, Chris. It was a hoot. <laughs> okay. I hope you loved the show as much as I did. Please leave us a like, a thumbs up, a review, a comment, a rating if it is in your heart. Thank you so much. And I do really appreciate your time. And join us again next week for another exciting interview.